When does our act of kindness become complete? This is Rabbi Yitzchak Price with another episode of Tachlis Talks, growth-oriented, partial-related Torah podcasts. We are up to the Parsha of Chaye Sarah, the Parsha in which Avraham has sent his trusted servant Eliezer to find a wife for his son Yitzchak, and Eliezer encounters Rivka or Rebecca at the well, and seeing her kindness and her giving him water and water to his camels helps him determine that she is the right match. And of course, by the end of the Parsha, she has come back and is marrying Yitzchak. But I'd like to analyze a little more closely the acts of giving on Rivka's part in her providing the water to Eliezer to the camels and see if we can glean some insight that can be applied in our own acts of giving throughout our lives. Number one, I think we've actually reflected upon this in in earlier years, that Eliezer, according to Rashi, ran to greet her because he saw that the water rose to greet Rivka. Rivka didn't need to lower her bucket into the well. The Medrash, as quoted by Rashi, describes that she warranted a miraculous provision of that water uh, without her significant effort. Yet, when he asks for water, the text describes Vataridas Kadash, she lowered her jug to get the water. Apparently, she had turned off the miracle mode and was involving herself in the activity of drawing the water. And we had made reference, I believe, uh, a year or two ago to the, actually, if it's on the podcast, it had to be last year, but maybe in some other settings a few years ago, that uh, the Chavetz Chaim, the famed Chavetz Chaim, noted that it seemed when it came to doing the mitzvah, when it, when it came to doing the act of chesed, she didn't want it to be effortless. She didn't want it to be that God simply made it happen. She turned off that mitzvah, that miracle mode, however you do that. <laughs> if we know how to turn it on or you know how to turn it off. But she no longer allowed God to be providing the water. She did the effort of lowering the jug to lift up the water and Let's pay attention to the fact she did this not only for Eliezer, but eventually for the camels. And not only for one camel, but for many camels. And I don't know the last time you gave uh, water to a camel to drink, but it's not simply here have an eight-ounce glass. They drink many gallons each, probably many lowerings of buckets and raising of buckets to provide for any one camel, let alone ten camels. But... Rivka wanted to do that. She wanted to be physically involved in that chesed, in that kindness. But there's another nuance over here that I'd really like to focus on today. And unfortunately, I'm not remembering the name of the author of an essay that I once read. If I'm remembering correctly, I had seen this on um, the H.com website, where one of their authors had suggested that there's a distinction in how Rivka provided the water to Eliezer, and how she provided the water to the camels. And he noted that when giving the water to Eliezer, the text indicates she gave him the amount of water that she gave him. She gave him to drink. When it came to the camels, she watered them until they finished drinking. To Eliezer, she did a beautiful act of giving him water as he needed, but it was a measured measured measurement. She she determined how how much she was going to give, and here is your water. When it came to the camels, it was open-ended. Until they finish drinking, she's providing more and more water. Now, one could suggest on a simplistic level, 
She doesn't know how much the camels will need, how much they drink, so she doesn't come forth with a set measure. But this author was suggesting that to the camels she's doing a greater act of kindness, rather than limiting her act of kindness based on her advanced expectations or how much I want to give, it's how much do you need. Now, in that essay, I don't think he addressed why the shift, why Beliezer one mode. Okay, here's a set amount. To the camels, another mode. Open-ended, whatever you need to drink. I would suggest that perhaps the first act elevates her capacity to then do the second act. She develops the chesed muscles by doing the first activity, an act of kindness, even if it was measured. It's ultimately still an act of kindness. But having done that first act now allows her to be a greater doer of kindness and that she can do the second act without any reservation, without any restriction, simply totally open-ended. In which case, we can learn, hopefully, that kindness comes in many, many shades, many different uh, degrees. And one can certainly be doing an act of kindness if I predetermine I'm going to give X amount of money or X amount of time, X amount of energy, X amount of attention, which I'm volunteering to do, and that's an act of kindness and beautiful. But there is a far greater type of kindness. I'm going to give as much as you need. Now, with money, we may not all have the capacity to be giving as much as you need, but we probably can be less um, measured and less reserved and more open to the possibility that we give based on what it is that you need. And certainly when it comes to other assets, our time, our energy, our attention, are we doling out that which we give out based on the fact that, okay, I've decided I'm ready to volunteer X amount of time, X amount of energy, which is phenomenal, or are we going one step beyond? I'm ready to volunteer my time, my energy, my attention, based on how much you actually need. Now, we have to recognize I'm up against other barriers and other boundaries when it comes to my time and my energy as well. And I have other needs that I have to be attentive to. Uh, if I just give without any limitation whatsoever, I'll exhaust myself on the first project and not be there for future opportunities. But can we at least be open when looking at our opportunities of kindness to reaction to the need of the other rather than our predetermined measures? So that using an example, somebody that needs to vent, needs to share, needs to talk, when I answer that call, when I say, hey, okay, let's sit down, let's chat, am I predetermining, okay, I'll give you half an hour, give you X amount of my time, X amount of attention, or do I have room at least at times to say, I'm here for you? I'm, I'm not walking out of here until you're ready to, to pull away, until you're ready to say that, thank you, I've vented, uh, you've done what I needed to do. Just giving the person the sense that we are there to hear them out, may itself eliminate a lot of the stress, a lot of their tension, uh, their, their difficulty in venting, in sharing. Because, look, if I know that I've got an appointment and, and whoever it is, whatever professional, can only give me X amount of time, I've got to see to it that I prioritize that time. 
I've got to restructure. I've got to worry. Am I hitting the most important points? Am I being efficient? But if you as a friend are there for me, and I have no hesitation, I can be open in how I share because I don't have to worry that you're on the clock. It gives me a whole different capacity to release. So, again, learning from Rivka, the first act is a great act of kindness. The second act is a far greater act of kindness. And when we are not limiting ourselves, when we're not putting any cap on the act of kindness, whatever the situation is right now, we really are doing something of a far greater value. I want to share this past week, Kalal uh, Yisrael, the nation of Israel, suffered a loss of immense proportion. And um, actually multiple losses. Many of you are familiar with the, the uh, passing of the former chief rabbi of England, one of the most articulate spokesmen for representing the Torah, Torah concepts to the to the world, uh, uh, Chief Rabbi Lord uh, Jonathan Sachs. That is a big loss that a lot of the Jewish media did note. There was another one of a name that to many was less known and a lot of media didn't even pay attention to, but certainly a far, far, far more uh, broadly attended funeral in terms of the numbers of thousands of people uh, on site and, and many, many, many thousands of people hooked up on, on phone and on and, uh, you know, Vimeo, etc. But Rabbi David Feinstein, Rabbi David Feinstein, Zecher Tzadokibracha, a great righteous individual, one of the greatest um, Torah scholars of the past era, uh, a man who had absolute mastery of the breadth of Torah, um, a, a, a final authority on many, 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 many complicated issues. I had the blessing to interface with him twice, I think. But to get a sense of his incredible humility, here's somebody who was of the greatest sages of the generation. And to reach out to him, I called, tried to speak by calling his home phone at the time or his office phone in the yeshiva, but both times I was directed, if you want to catch him, call the payphone in the yeshiva's lobby, and somebody will call him out to the phone. And they call him out to the payphone in the lobby? I can't do that. Well, I ended up doing that because that was the way to get through to him. And his humility, that's how he operated. And the only reason he stopped taking calls to the payphone is because they eliminated the payphone. Because who uses payphones anymore? So then it became an issue to try to send messages through his secretary, email, and he would share back answers through her. But somebody of incredible scholarship, incredible humility, but also incredible, incredible uh, chesed, incredible focus on kindness. One trace example that's been floating around the uh, Jewish world, I, I was sent a picture uh, earlier today of him dining in an upscale Manhattan restaurant with an individual who had told him earlier in the day, it's my birthday and there isn't a person on the planet who cares. Nobody to celebrate with me. Totally alone. To which Ray Feinstein said, what are you talking about? I'm celebrating with you. I'm taking you out to the restaurant. He didn't just take him. He could have, you know, he could have made his day by even wishing him a happy birthday and giving him a blessing for a good year. He could have gone beyond that and said, hey, I'm treating you. I'm buying you some type of cake. I'm going to send a cake over to your home. He could have said, you know, I'll take you out for a quick bite. Maybe to sit down and eat a full meal with this person and spend at a nice restaurant rather than just the most convenient. 
what an incredible way of doing chesed. And to sit there and hear out the plight of the person who was down and out and lonely, the grandson, speaking at a funeral, described it where so many people trying to get through, and he was often the person people were asking, how and when do we come to visit your grandfather to get advice, to get his blessing, to get his rulings in different cases, or just to get his time? And he felt bad. He felt bad giving out access to his grandfather's very, 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 very precious time. But his grandfather told him, your job is to help give them access. My job is to tell them when I simply can't go any further. But the, the default is I'm accessible and I'm there for the clown, I'm there for the nation, I'm there for all the individuals in the nation. That is an attitude of chesed and learning from Rivka in Parsha. We know that the acts of chesed triggered her becoming part of the destiny of the Jewish people. Our ancestors going way back at the foundation of our people, and we can hopefully take to heart that if we can be the type of people who are eager to do the chesed, eager to do the chesed even if it involves effort, and eager to do the chesed with effort, but taking it a step further, eager to do that chesed with effort, without restricting it based on our preconceived notions, but rather looking toward the need of the one that we are providing toward, will be the type of givers of chesed, of Baalei chesed, who will be that much more likely to achieve Eratachlis.